Faye, I don't know about you, but pap smear changes happen so frequently, I feel like, and I can't keep up anymore now that my primary practice is really just in obstetrics. Yeah, and it's really difficult, I think, even for our residents to remember everything, especially with Creogs looming overhead in, towards the end of January. So what methods do you have of making sure that they and us keep up to date? Well, if I need a quick reference, one place that I can know I can turn to is the OBG project because I can hold this in my special library on my bookshelf and say, aha, this is the most recent thing that I know that they have read and up to date and a nice bullet pointed summary. And then they've even got an alert on their homepage right now to get you signed up to be able to know as soon as the newest recommendations coming from the USPSTF on cervical cancer screening get dropped. Um, That's pretty, pretty neat that you can be right on the front lines of brand new changes in patient care. Yeah, absolutely. And even more for residents, uh, they have the resident core curriculum. So you can go ahead and sign up for that um, and basically look at comprehensive OBGYN resources for your education. And of course, now the OBG project also has an app so you can access this even more quickly and easily from your phone. Get signed up for all of the great things that come from the OBG project, including OBG First, absolutely free for residents all four years on our website, creagsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar, get signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is... Creogs over over coffee. coffee. All right. So today we're going to go into a topic that um, comes back to some of the mental health things we've talked about before, but we haven't talked specifically, Faye, about premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So we're going to spend some time on that. Um, What are our learning objectives? Yeah, so today we're going to review premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, and its background. We're going to learn how to manage PMDD with medications and other conservative measures. And then finally, understand how to manage PMDD with more invasive measures, such as surgery. Um, A great article is uh, out there on the uh, Pearls of Excellence from the Society for Academic Specialists in General OBGYN, or SASCOG, which we will post on our website. And if you haven't heard of the Pearls of Excellence, go and check them out because they're really great for both CREOGs and for boards review. All right, Nick, let's jump into this. So let's start off with our background. What exactly is premenstrual dysphoric disorder? And is it different from premenstrual syndrome or PMS, which I'm sure everybody has heard of? Yeah, I mean, whether you've heard of it in the correct fashion or not, I feel like everybody has talked about you know, PMS that is happening to them or happening to someone they know. But to be specific, premenstrual syndrome or PMS encompasses a wide variety of signs and symptoms that can occur in a predictable pattern, usually before or during menses. A lot of the symptoms and signs that we attribute to PMS include mood swings, tenderness of the breasts, specific food cravings, and then fatigue, irritability, and depressive type symptoms. It's really common, can affect up to three out of four menstruating folks, and then 15 to 20% of patients who have PMS will have a degree of PMS that significantly impairs their functioning. And this is where we get to kind of moving down the spectrum to PMDD, or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a more severe form of PMS according to the DSM-5. 
Now, PMDD usually appears the week before menstruation and ends within a few days of menses starting. And within kind of the context or the way the DSM makes diagnoses, it involves at least one severe affective symptom, so something like depression, hopelessness, anxiety, affective lability, or persistent anger, and that these symptoms resolve around the time of menses onset. But it's not just mood that's here. It can also involve a lot of systems ultimately. And you know, we've talked a lot about some of the psychological symptoms that can go along with PMS, and there's a whole list of symptoms that can go there, but there also can be respiratory issues like allergies or infections that are more pronounced, eye issues, the vision changes, GI symptoms, skin symptoms, neurologic or vascular symptoms that can range from the more benign like headaches and dizziness to the kind of alarming, like heart palpitations, tingling, or numbness. Um, and then the other type of category that I think is also very familiar to folks can be things like more painful menstruation, diminished sex drive, appetite changes, again, food cravings, hot flashes, swelling or weight gain, and breast tenderness and pain. About somewhere or in the range of 3 to 8% of patients who menstruate will have PMDD. So while it's not the most common diagnosis or not nearly as common as PMS, it is something that, you know, 1 in 20, 1 in 25 patients you encounter may qualify for the diagnosis of PMDD. So, Faye, always with these things, you know, when we're seeing folks that have severe menstrual symptoms, um, PMDD is one that comes to mind, but we do have to keep a broad differential. Absolutely. So as you said, you know, PMDD can involve any of those symptoms that you said, but it really does have to have one severe affective symptom, whether it's, you know, depression, hopelessness, all of those things that you listed. The other thing is that we need to make sure that it, it's actually coordinated with the timing of menses, meaning that its onset is usually prior to menses and then it will resolve within a few days of menses. And the DSM-5 specifically says there should be a demonstrative history of at least two consecutive menstrual cycles. Um, where there are these symptoms or signs in exclusion of other medical conditions. And that means that we need to also rule out other primary mood or anxiety disorders. Um, so is this just, you know, major depressive disorder, you know, generalized anxiety disorder because it doesn't follow that pattern? Or there could be medical things that are causing this, like thyroid function, substance use, and also menopausal transition. This means that in order to make this diagnosis, we need to take an extensive history and do a physical exam to rule out these other possibilities. And other tests that you may want to consider, depending on the patient's symptoms, um, include things like, you know, thyroid function studies, if the patient is telling you that in addition to their other symptoms, they have excessive fatigue or insomnia, temperature dysregulation, weight gain. Um, you can also order things like an FSH or estrogen if there's some concern for like a menopausal transition. Also, if there's concerns for things like heavy bleeding or irregular bleeding, depending on their situation, you may need to do something like an endometrial biopsy to rule out things like, you know, uterine cancers. And then we don't, we won't go into everything here as we have other episodes that discuss how to manage AUB, of course. And then if you do think that the patient actually has a mood disorder that is not due to the menstrual cycle, it can be reasonable to one, start them on treatment, or if you're not comfortable doing that, or you feel that this patient's um, degree of depression or anxiety or other mood disorder is beyond your ability to care for them as an OBGYN, you can always refer them to a psychiatrist as well as therapy. 
Okay, so I think that is a good summary of what PMDD is and how to recognize it, Nick. So let's go on and talk about how do we conservatively manage PMDD? Yeah, so I'll kind of pause here for a minute or preface kind of a discussion on management. You know, with a lot of chronic conditions in medicine, really the goal of treatment is to improve patient function and symptoms. We're not always going to be able to make symptoms go away 100%. And so as you're exploring treatment options with your patient and talking about this diagnosis, it's important to say that we're really looking for functional progress here and that no, 100% may or may not be achievable ultimately. And it's also important to mention that there's may not be a single management method that really is the thing that nips it in the bud, but combination therapy is often what's required to really get to the point where the patient feels good about where they are. Let's start with the most conservative things and go through lifestyle modifications. So one consideration you might have are things like diet. So there is some evidence that a patient's diet can affect the severity of PMS and PMDD. Now that doesn't mean that eating certain foods are going to cause PMDD, but there are possibilities basically that certain dietary modifications can reduce severity in patients with a diagnosis. So there is some evidence that reduction of sugar, salt, red meat, caffeine, and alcohol can help reduce PMDD symptoms. And there is some evidence too that calcium and vitamin B6 supplementation can provide benefit. Exercise is another lifestyle modification that could be considered. Aerobic exercise can actually help improve PMDD symptoms. There actually is a study out there that shows that patients that did a 60-minute aerobic exercise three times a week for eight weeks, so two months of exercise, hitting pretty much that minimum from the American Heart Association, felt or those patients ultimately felt much improved physically, mentally, and emotionally. And there's also a systematic review and meta-analysis demonstrating there's likely some improvement in symptoms, but there is some uncertainty that remains. And we'll link to those studies on our website. Finally, kind of the adjunct or alternative treatments that will kind of lump in here under lifestyle modifications. Um, again, there are some studies that go through these things, but there's not really a ton of evidence to routinely recommend things like massage, biofeedback therapy, yoga, chiropractic manipulations. Um, there's also kind of limited evidence in regards to some herbal medicines like evening primrose oil or other Chinese herbal medicines. If patients find that these work for them, and there aren't any other contraindications with other therapeutics that they're on, they can certainly continue them as there doesn't seem to be evidence of harm. Things that have other limited evidence that can work can be bright light therapy, like you think about for seasonal affective disorder, um, helping to reduce stress in some way, shape, or form. So really looking through somebody's lifestyle to see where those pain points might be. And then adequate sleep, I think, probably improves everything for anybody, um, yep. <laughs> but is something else to think about, particularly with sleep hygiene things. There is low quality evidence as well to kind of round this out that acupuncture may reduce symptoms of PMDD. Now, before we get into pharmacologics, the other sort of intermediate therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy that does have some evidence of effectiveness. There also is evidence that group psychoeducation and then other things like relaxation therapy may benefit patients with significant stress or an anxiety component to their PMDD. 
All right, so that goes through a lot of the conservative things, Faye. Let's say that these aren't working for the patient or they're interested in pharmacologic therapy. What are the things that we should be thinking about? Right. So we're going to divide this into three groups. So the pharmacologic therapy are things like psychoactive therapy, hormonal therapies, and then NSAIDs. So of the psychoactive therapy, basically selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs have been shown to be very effective and are actually the first line treatment for PMDD. So if someone comes to you and they say, hey doc, you know, I have this really horrible um, depression that I get around the time of my period. I've tried all of these lifestyle changes and really I'm having a lot of difficulty dealing with my life around my period. You can certainly start them on an SSRI. And the results is actually pretty um, pretty good. So there's a response in 60 to 70% of patients when you start them on SSRIs. And you can try both continuous SSRIs or just luteal phase SSRIs. So basically in that you know last 14, 12 to 14 days of the menstrual cycle for patients. There really hasn't been a single agent that's been shown to be better than others. So first-line therapy can include things like sertraline, paroxetine, citalopram, escitalopram, fluoxetine. And then second-line therapies are other things like SNRI, so like a venlafaxine, and also alprazolam. The second group of medications we're going to talk about are hormonal therapies. So these include things like combined oral contraceptives. And these have shown mixed effects in randomized controlled trials. So both cyclic and extended regimens inhibit ovulation, and they may reduce some of those physical symptoms that patients have um, when they have PMDD. For patients who desire contraception, actually, um, combined oral contraceptives is a reasonable first-line therapy in addition to SSRI, or if they don't want to start the SSRI, you can actually just start them on that combined oral contraceptive. Drosperinone-containing combined oral contraceptives especially are uh, specifically FDA approved for treating PMDD. So kind of think about those like newer generation uh, oral contraceptives. And about 48 to 60% of patients report significant improvement once they start this type of oral contraceptive. And then the last group are NSAIDs, or those non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. And these can mainly be useful in managing those physical symptoms like abdominal pain, things like that, for patients. So those are kind of our more conservative therapies in terms of like lifestyle modification, behavioral therapy, and pharmacologic medication. Let's talk a little bit more about more advanced therapies, Nick. So what else is available out there if the patient is unfortunately refractory to all of these different types of management? Yeah, so two categories here of advanced therapy, one medication and the other surgery actually. So with medication, the thing that we think about most are GnRH agonists. So probably the classic example here is luprolide um, or Lupron slash Depolupron. It has been shown to be effective for ovulation suppression as well as for the physical symptoms of PMDD. As we've talked about with kind of GnRH agonists on the show before, long-term use really needs to be approached with caution and only after informed consent because there are some pretty significant side effects related ultimately to the hypoestrogenic state that comes along. Things like hot flashes, um, those kind of menopausal symptoms, if you will, um, and most concerning for younger patients that get started on GnRH agonists long-term would be the possibility of irreversible bone loss. 
Finally, surgery can be considered if a patient has disabling symptoms, they're refractory to all of their medical therapies. Um, and really here, what you're doing is taking the ovaries out, right? If menstruation and the hormonal changes associated with it are the things that are causing these symptoms, then taking out the root cause and the ovaries can be considered. It's recommended that you pursue a three to six month trial of a GnRH agonist like Luprolide um, as a prerequisite to surgical treatment. So we kind of try the least invasive thing first before moving on to that more invasive therapy. And again, this is a conversation you're going to have to have with a patient and really go through risks and benefits, particularly that oophorectomy in younger patients can be associated with a lot of other morbidities. Again, thinking about osteoporosis or bone loss, but also cardiovascular events in these patients. Um, and so this is not a benign intervention by any means, um, but can be selected again for some patients with super refractory disabling symptoms. All right, Faye. Well, I think that that does it for this episode on PMDD. Why don't we try to summarize? Sure. So we first started talking about uh, the, de the definition of PMDD. So we probably have all heard of PMS or premenstrual syndrome, which can affect three out of four menstruating people. The PMDD or the PMDD is a more severe form of premenstrual syndrome that usually appears the week before menstruation and ends within a few days of menses starting and involves at least one severe affective symptom, such as depression, hopelessness, anxiety, etc. And it can involve multiple organ systems as well. Approximately 3 to 8% of patients who menstruate will have PMDD. When you're thinking about PMDD as a diagnosis, you need to make sure to keep a broad differential. The primary characteristics of PMDD are really that one severe affective symptom that is coordinated with timing of menses and demonstrates a history of at least two consecutive menstrual cycle and while excluding other medical conditions. Definitely rule out any other primary mood or anxiety disorders as well as medical issues like thyroid dysfunction, substance abuse, or the menopausal transition that might mimic this. Um, there are definitely ways with it taking extensive history, physical exam, and laboratory assessment that may be important to make sure that PMDD is truly the diagnosis that you have. In terms of conservative ways to manage PMDD, the first thing that we need to establish with our patients is that with any chronic condition, the goal is to improve patient function and symptoms, and we may not be able to make symptoms go away 100%, and we may often need to have a combination of changes to help the patient. These changes include things like lifestyle modifications, like diet changes in terms of reducing sugar, salt, red meat, caffeine, and alcohol, potentially exercise, like doing 60 minutes of aerobic exercise three times a week, also other adjunct and alternative treatments, though there's not as much good data for this. Patients can also undergo things like cognitive behavioral therapy. In terms of the pharmacologic therapies, the first line pharmacologic therapy is SSRI, actually. These are very effective with response in 60 to 70% of patients and can be used in a continuous or a luteal phase fashion. There isn't a single agent that's been shown to be better than the other. Hormonal therapies such as combined oral contraceptives have shown mixed effects in randomized trials, but it's a reasonable choice, especially if a patient is desiring contraception or can be combined with an SSRI as needed. Drosperinone containing formulations are specifically FDA approved for treating PMDD with 48 to 60% of patients reporting improvement. Finally, NSAIDs can be considered as well, and those are particularly useful to manage the physical symptoms of PMDD. 
More advanced therapies also exist. The first is the GnRH agonist, and we usually think of something like luprolide, and it has been effective for things like ovulation suppression. However, long-term use should be approached with caution because there are severe side effects, things like those vasomotor symptoms, um, hot flashes, etc., and of course for younger patients, irreversible bone loss. And the final step for patients with really disabling symptoms is to actually perform an oophrectomy, and it's recommended that the patient undergo three to six months of trial with a GnRH agonist and actually demonstrate efficacy on these medications before we undergo a surgical treatment. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this is Creogge Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at Kriagjavarkoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at Coffee. And if you want to support the show and donate to us, you can go into our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Coffee. Show notes for this episode, as well as all of our previous episodes and that Rosh Review Question of the Week are on our website, Coffee.com. And if you have questions for us, a correction for this show or other shows, or have a suggestion for a show, go ahead and reach out to us at Coffee at gmail.com. 